time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's Wednesday. You know, I figured out how I could figure out what day of the week it is. Uh, yeah, you look at a calendar. It's amazing. They, they, they have a grid on it, and it has numbers, and it says like Monday, Tuesday. It's amazing, really. And as long as you kind of like you're oriented as to you know where you are in space and time, you can actually figure out what the day of the week is. And then if you're really lazy, you can just I, on the Macintosh here, I can click on the the time up in the right hand corner of my computer, and it'll tell me the day. Can you believe that? Wow, what a day we live in. <laughs> You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am Chris Rosebro, and uh, I'm your servant in Christ. My job is to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment and basically ask the question, is what you're being taught biblical Christianity, or is it something else? And uh, by no means is the show host uh, a pope where you know I can speak ex cathedra. I can When I speak... It's always – no, it's not always the truth. In fact, I got probably one of the funniest emails I've ever received. And I, I, <laughs> uh, folks, I, I have apparently have offended several people in the UK, okay, quite harmlessly. But uh, one of them, it wasn't just him. I actually – you know, apparently my the mistake I made on the air ended up costing his dog dearly. <laughs> we'll get to that email in a little bit. Good night. So, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll get to that. And, and, and come to find out, you know, Ola, who we re- responded to the email yesterday from the UK regarding the rapture and everything. Um, Ola's a woman. Oh. Yeah. Ola, Ola's a girl. And uh, she's my sister in Christ, not my bro. Her chick. Yeah. So um, she's also a chick. Although she's a professor chick. So... But I don't think she's. I don't think she's gonna like it if I call her a chick. You know, she's just too well spoken for that. You know, we Americans, um, <clears throat> we're just a little informal. You know, it's that cowboy thing that kind of wor- wor- worked its way into our culture. So, yeah. So I I heard from uh, Ola and and she thanked me for uh, the kind words and and for in and the things I said and just wanted to let me know that she's um she's my sister in Christ, not my brother. And she underst- She was not offended. She was very gracious and very kind. And um, in fact, her full name is uh, uh, Olanma. Olanma. And um, apparently, she's uh, uh, she's British-born and bred African from east uh, of Nigeria, which is from the east of Nigeria, which is really kind of really cool. And um, and her ethnic origin is. Uh, Igbo? I don't know if I'm, gonna, if I'm pronouncing that right. but uh, So she was really gracious, and she emailed me and let me know that <clears throat> I com- com- committed a, a faux pax. No, <laughs> that's faux pas. Sorry. I, <laughs> I committed a fox pox. Yeah. I went to art school. They all sound good to me. They all sound good to you. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and she was very gracious. So thank you, uh, Ola. I appreciate your graciousness. Got your email. Thank you. By the way, folks, I do read all of the emails that I get from you, you know, from uh, from Facebook, uh, from my t- from the talk back at Fighting for the Faith uh, uh, email account. And t- the today's stack of email is just huge. 
I, 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 it's been a while since I've got this much email just from, you know, a couple of shows and today, but I do read them all. I just, I, we don't have the liberty to respond to them all, even though we, we respond to our emails pretty regularly. So, um, just, you know, wanted to let you all know that. So don't, if I, if I don't respond to your email on the air, don't consider yourself unworthy or anything like that. And, you know, it's, you know, it's not the great Chris Rosebro or, or anything, you know, it just, you know, we, we, I, I select my topics, you know, based on different things that are going on. And, and I try to weave in emails that kind of work along those lines. And sometimes I'll throw in some, you know, oddball stuff. But just want to let you know that, you know, I do read them all and and, and I don't have the ability to respond literally to everything. So, but uh, keep them coming. Yeah, email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Okay. Now, this is really funny. Uh, Mrs. Rowland, who she now says that I can call her Mrs. Chick. Okay. <laughs> she she emailed me back. And um, <laughs> so now this is interesting. We have the chick, which is Pam, and we've got Mrs. Roland, who's Mrs. Chick. And Ms., Mrs. Chick has divulged. She has revealed to me that there is a third very quiet and, you know, shy chick that also listens. And let, let me read, let me read uh, Mrs. Chick's email. She says, dear Chris, whilst there you go, she's using the same language as Ola now. She's she's threw in a whilst in there. Whilst I agree, agree, whilst I agree with you in thinking the voice version of the Bible is rubbish. I'm also proud of you, my brother in Christ, for not sugarcoating the truth of the coming of the clouds uh, skewed theology. You have earned the right to refer to me as Mrs. Chick. And I praise the Lord for your faithfulness and service to our Lord and God and his saints. By the way, there is a third chick out there. We three like to shy, sharpen our irons, and she's requested I ask your view on infant baptism, but but is shy to write. Uh, chick number three is an avid listener, though. Okay, so we've got this mysterious chick number three, you know, who, you know, she hasn't worked up the courage to sit behind her keyboard and bang out an email, but she has she has uh, solicited the help of Mrs. Chick. So uh, now, third chick, chick three. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna answer your question today. Okay, I will say this: I do believe in infant baptism, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna devote an entire segment of the show to this topic in the next, like in the, within the next week. I promise I will do that. So I'll I'll send Mrs. Chick an email to let her know what day we'll be top, talking about that, and I'm gonna bring in an extra dude for that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to bring in the, uh, pastor Brian Wolfmuller, whose wife just recently had a baby, uh, Isaac Wolfmuller is his name and, uh, want to bring him in because he has probably one of the best articles I've read on the topic of whether or not infants can have faith. Okay. Yeah. Covering it biblically. And so, um, what we'll do is we'll, uh, I'll attack it by bringing in a uh, dude too, the, uh, the right reverend, uh, pastor Wolfmuller to discuss this and we'll do that within the next week. So stay tuned. I, and all of you people out there who don't, who don't believe in infant baptism. I know you, you, you got, you sharpening your knives. I can hear it out there. So you can hear the knives being, you know, and th- that's okay. You can throw knives and darts at me, but wait until you hear the biblical uh, position on it. So, you know, I know people say, well, it's real simple. All we have to do is open up our Bible to all of the passages that talk about infant baptism. And, Whoa, look, there's zero. <laughs> you 
That's like saying, well, what we're going to do is we're going to open up our Bible and we're going to look at all the passages that ta- that uh, mention the Trinity. Oh, there's none. There's no Trinity then. <laughs> it's the same thing. The, believe me when I tell you, I believe it's a completely a biblically defensible position. Otherwise, I wouldn't hold it. In fact, I had my children baptized. This is kind of an interesting story. Um, uh, when my older two were born, you know, so when Joshua was born, he was dedicated to Pasadena Nazarene. Okay. Never understood quite the, the idea of infant or baby dedication. Is that biblical? I, I, you know, funny enough, I have not found any passages in scripture about infant baby dedication. And, you know, and so why would you say you're ba- dedicating a baby? Isn't it the parents dedicating themselves to raising their child as a Christian child? Sounds good. Yeah, I think that's kind of a better way to describe it. But uh, so we had Josh dedicated at Paz Naz. Trying to remember where were we for for uh, Christina? Oh man, Mrs. Rosebro is going to be very disappointed. <laughs> I'm trying to remember back where she was dedicated. I know that she. Well, maybe hmm, maybe we didn't have her dedicated. We might have. We attended kind of a, a Lutheran church for a while in Orange, California, called St. John's Lutheran Church. The pastor there at the time, his name was Pastor Norb Esh, and he was one of these Lutheran guys that was kind of dabbling with the seeker sensitive stuff. And, you know, trying to, you know, go that direction. And so it was kind of weird because um, it was, that church was really kind of like a halfway house for us. You know, you think about a you know, halfway house for, you know, drug users or, or prisoners or something like that. You know, they have to have a halfway house to kind of get them back into society. We had a halfway house coming out of evangelicalism, and that was what um, St. <laughs> John's provided for us. But um, we, you know, we ended up having Josh and Christina baptized there. And, um, and then a few, you know, about five years later, uh, faith came along and we were over at Holy Trinity Lutheran church. Now, this is interesting. Uh, those of you who are Lutherans know what I'm talking about. Um, in the old hymnals, as well as the, uh, the blue, the, the old blue hymnal, which I was never really that big of a fan of the blue, uh, the blue hymnal. I, I much prefer the new, uh, Lutheran service book. It is a far better hymnal, but, um, in the baptismal liturgy that's in there, there's a section where the pastor asks, what is the child to be named? Now, it's my understanding that that particular liturgy, you know, you know, baptismal liturgy comes down really, it's, it's old. And so uh, there was a practice that, you know, long ago, far away, that, you know, that, uh, you know, that people would actually name their children when they were baptized. And so what we did is we, uh, when Faith was born, my well, actually when she was conceived before she was born, my wife and I made the decision that we weren't going to name Faith until she was baptized. You know why? Because Roseboro has to be the odd man out. You know, I just. <laughs> but it was actually really, really neat. And so what you know what happened is is that um, you know I remember my my mom putting a lot of pressure on me coming going. Come on, Chris, you can tell me the name. Nope. Not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. And she'd say, well, what are we supposed to do? Just refer to the baby as baby Rose Brummel? That works. <laughs> well, what if she, what if, what if the baby's, what if, you know, what if she, the baby's born on a Sunday afternoon? You have to wait a whole week. Are you going to wait a whole week to name your baby? Well, well, we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there, won't we? And so even my mother-in-law, she was putting a little pressure. You know, she wanted to, you know, you know, people wanted to know. And I basically told me, so you want to know the name of the baby? Then you got to come to church. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so what happened is is that uh pastor swirla he we had told him ahead of time that we weren't going to name uh faith until until the actual baptism and so but we didn't tell him faith i mean we, we weren't going to name our child until the actual baptism and so 
you know, there, you know, there's usually, you know, I always thought it was hilarious, you know, because at, at Holy Trinity, you know, some, there was a, a lady there that, um, when a child was baptized, they would actually make like a little banner for that child, like, you know, you know, and it would, you know, it would have the baptismal date and the name of the child on there. And then, you you know, it'd be up on the wall. Right. And and it, and then when it gets to the part and what is the child to be named? I'm all, well, the name's right there. You know, Duh. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I thought it'd be kind of cool to just to ch- check this out. Well, we found out that in the state of California, you actually have like a month to name your child legally. Did yeah. your banner say your name here? Yeah, your name here. Just said fill in the blank. <laughs> so um, anyway, so you know, it didn't say it didn't say that, but it was it was kind of one of those unique situations. And what ended up happening is is that the, everyone was there. And I tell you, when it got to the part in the liturgy when Pastor Swirly he asked, "What is the child to be named?" Every you could have heard a pin drop in the church. I mean, it was just really kind of cool, and so you know, and so I got to say Faith's name for the first time. You know, that anyone had ever heard her name, and it was Faith Marie Roseboro. And so you know, he he took her, and he had to kind of like quickly try to remember it so he wouldn't forget it and mess it up. You know, <laughs> and uh, no, it was it was just one of those neat things. That, you know, but uh, why am I telling this story? It's a nice story. It's a great story. It's a great story. So, uh, yeah, we, our third child, Faith, was not named until her baptism, which truly is, you know, so Faith is her Christian name, for real. So, anyway, so uh, Chick 3, definitely believe in infant baptism, have practiced it on my children, and it stuck. So, this is good news. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about this in an upcoming program. Okay. Uh, do I want to talk about that? Okay, no. I'm going to have to come back to some of these emails. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious. The stack is ridiculously large. All right, getting – oh, man. Somebody who wrote me called me Mr. Flowerburger. <laughs> I like Rosenberger the best. I, this is hilarious. <laughs> Mr. Flowerburger. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Okay. Called you flower. You know he did not. He did not call me flower burger. Okay. He emailed me, and I'll read the punchline to this one too, first because just a great email. And the reason why he emailed me, folks, and this is the deal: is that you know if you hear me say something that's just not right, as off, you you don't you say, wait a second, I got to do some fact checks on that. Email me if I'm wrong. I'll I'll admit it on the air. Good night. So, what's, so he basically the the purpose of him emailing me is to let me know that uh, my <clears throat> historical facts weren't exactly right. Let's just say mangled is his term uh, regarding how the Methodists got their name. And what's really funny is is that his email prompted me to actually call the uh, Lutheran pastor who told me how the Methodists got their name. And I basically said, where did you get that from? And he says, you know, that's a good question. Let me – I don't know. <laughs> so apparently we, we – you know, I was passed off some bum information and then I passed it off without even checking about it. You know what it is? It's just Lutheran hubris. We want to believe that we are the ones who named the Methodists the Methodists. Well, you know what? It's not true. Okay, we're no, we don't get that credit. But uh, Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, the guy who has four names. I mean, two is not enough. He uh, he. he <laughs> this is the punchline. He says the next time you decide to talk about history, read up on the subject before you do. The family dog whom I was walking at the time I was listening was quite shocked at my reaction to your extreme mangling of history. She's getting old, and it would not be fair for her to, for this to happen again. So, <laughs> I my sincere apologies to the family dog. I'm you know, 
But he says, he says, I'm. He, let me get to the heart of the, of the email. And I says, I'm somewhat behind in my listening to Fighting for the Faith. So I was uh, only just listening to the opening of your November 13th show. I was horrified at your off-the-cuff description of how Methodism got its name. Okay. First of all, John Wesley lived from 1730 to 1791. So the second generation of Methodists would have been in the early 19th century and not the mid-19th century. Good point. So um, the, the how did this get, get caught up is that I was talking about Na, the, the Nazarene denomination, which was really set out um, to be a, a revival of Methodism. Okay, that was really what it was all about. You know, being a Nazarene, know a lot about the Nazarene history, okay? And specifically, uh, there's a rich history there in, in the Pasadena, Arcadia area regarding this revival in Methodism. But he's right. Second generation would have been mid-19th uh, century rather than the late 19th century, which is really when the Nazarenes got their start. So <clears throat> fact number one cleared up, okay? Um, what, what, was, <laughs> what was really uh, fictional was your origin of the name Methodist. Now, he he's basically making the charge. It ain't you Lutherans who came up with that that term. And after I did some research, I did some fact checking on his stuff, and he's he's got it right here. Okay, and so if anyone knows where the term Methodist comes from, it's going to be the Methodists. And sure enough, the Methodists have actually written about this, and his facts check out. And the Lutheran mythology that the Lutherans named him that is not true. What's funny though is is that I did in in looking in researching this subject. Where did the Methodists get their name? I saw a bunch of different theories running around the Internet regarding how the Methodists got their name. But sadly, few are checking the Methodists themselves. Jervis Nicholas Edward Charmley, he's got the facts and he's got them right. He says the name Methodist was one of a number of derogatory names given to serious Christians in the 18th century along with Presbyterian, Puritan, and Enthusiasts. Okay. Its origin, like the French Huguenot, is obscure, and it was first applied to the Wesleys when they were high church legalists in uh, in university seeking to be saved by a method of of living. Hang on a second here. And was for okay, in in terms of evangelical, I use the term in its old sense of gospel preaching religion people being called by it, the first man to be so called was George White, uh, Whitfield, who was neither a legalist nor an Armenian, but a Calvinist. Indeed, until the 20th century, the Welsh Presbyterian Church went by the name of the Calvinistic Methodists. And I assure you, there was nothing legalistic about that. Now, you know what this tells me? Okay, folks, uh, those of you who are listening outside of the United States, I, little confession time here. Americans act like no one else ever exists anywhere else. <laughs> this is a sad and pathetic state of affairs. And so what's, what I'm really enjoying is getting the email from uh, our listeners overseas. They're really helping me get a, a non-American view on things, and it's really funny. I mean, the American fish tank, hey, there's more going on than just that. So <laughs> funny, if somebody told me that, that there was a such thing as a Calvinistic Methodist, uh, you know, until I got this email, I would have said, you know, right, and you believe in flaming snowflakes? You know, 
it doesn't even sound like it's humanly possible. You know, how do you, the two contradictory concepts. Now, the name Methodist was applied by ignorant people who belonged to the Church of England. Well, I hope you, they know that you think that they were ignorant. And just as the Methodists were not originally Presbyterian, but they were Anglican, despite their being called Presbyterian, it has no connection with what the people to whom it was applied actually believed. John Wesley, a very confused man on the matter of sanctification, partly because of German Lutheran pietists. <laughs> Hey, you know what? He's right. Okay. Um, Rod Rosenblatt. Were we playing that Soko lecture today? Mm-hmm. Okay. Fo- oh, man. Um, okay. If, for, if you get a chance to listen to Pirate Christian Radio between now and when do we, when do we start the new broadcast day tomorrow, 9 in the morning? Mm-hmm. There's a Soko lecture by Dr. Rosenblatt on um, you know those who are hurt by the church. And, you know, folks, I'm... I, just honest here, Lutheran pietists—they uh, are—they are the bane of the church, man. And a lot of the problems that we're having today in the American evangelicalism, you can actually trace its roots back to Lutheran pietism. We've, oh, n- there's nothing better than good Lutheran theology, and there's nothing worse than Lutheran pietism. Nothing worse. Oh man, I mean, th- ugh. Ugh. <laughs> okay. So he says, all right, um, mm-hmm. okay, okay, yeah, West, John Wesley did indeed apply the name to his societies when he found he could not get rid of it because the early Methodists tried to live by method, but what that meant varies according to what you read in Wesley. Having read his entire work some years ago, after I broke my leg, I speak from personal knowledge. That's I consider that authoritative. Sometimes he is almost Lutheran in his teaching on sanctification, and at other times he's legalistic. Now, I would say that this is because Arminianism is an unstable compromise between Reformation theology and Pelagianism, but that's another matter. In, in England, Methodism did not really start to go liberal until the very end of the 19th century. Interesting. Okay. Um, not, not so much the case here in the States, but, um, anyway, he says, uh, so anyway, that's the thing. And he even gave me a website to go to and I found, uh, a nice link there that confirmed his historical facts. So folks, the Lutherans don't get credit for the name Methodist. I'm shocked. Actually, I'm not. (laughs) When I went digging around, it's like, "Eh, okay. So, but the term Methodism, you know, really is a derogatory term. And in Lutheran circles in America, I, I can say that, um, the term Methodi- Methodism has definitely had a, co- a negative connotation and has been used in our theological circles to describe those who are trying to sanctify themselves or, you know, or, or grow in sanctification through human methods and efforts. And we are not big on that at all. So, uh, Gervais, thank you for the fact check on this. Now, this is interesting. I got another fact check in. And um, this one is, um, boy, I, I don't know if uh, if I have to, if I, I don't think I can give him, I don't think I can give this guy the, um, uh, his point yet. Uh, doing a, uh, Somebody sent me an email challenging what I had said about the rapture doctrine really having its origin in, uh, in the Irvingites and... Uh, Oh, let me find the email. 
too much email. You hear me shuffling those papers? You know why I'm shuffling papers? Because I have a lot of email. It's really actually kind of cool. Anyway, let me see if I can find this. Uh, emergent Bible microphone praise report audio adjustments. No. Yeah, we had a problem with our uh, audio adjustment yesterday. First eight minutes of the program, the microphones were really hot. So that doesn't mean they were good looking, though. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see here. Infallible Methodism. Emergence. It's rapture. No. What did I do with this email? Roseboro, you're getting old. <laughs> anyway, um, the the, uh, the the question is is what what's the what's the uh, origin of the rapture doctrine? Well, did a little poking around on that, and there's a lot of debate on that. And I, I found a few websites that put out what I would consider somewhat scholarly articles that talk about uh, the, uh, the beginnings of the rapture doctrine as having its roots in something uh, 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 under the influence of the Plymouth Brethren and John Darby. Okay, And uh, they would basically say he's not really the one responsible for the doctrine, and this article claims that what he, he's, he basically made it help make it popular, him and Schofield, but that it has its roots in the Irvingites, Irvingites uh, from 1832, and specifically, a dream or a vision that came to a woman by the name of Mrs. McDonald. Now, what's funny is the email that I got actually challenged um, these facts. And so, at this point, I, I'm kind of having to, you know, hold off on my uh, uh, hold off on making a decision because when I went to fact check the fact checker, some of the facts didn't come back as clearly being one way or another. So. Um, as it stands, it's a little bit up in the air. Those of you who are listening who actually have some good definitive uh, fuel that you can add to the rapture fire as far as its original origins are concerned, email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com because we've got, uh, we've got some things we've got to clear up on that. Who, who really started that? From what I'm reading, it's a, you know, a woman who was an Irvingite, Irvingite back in the 1830s has a, vi- a dream or a vision regarding it. It's kind of an early Pentecostal movement, uh, the Irvingites, and um, and then Darby and Schofield kind of pick it up and run with the ball. So I just wanted to uh, let you know that it's not 100% clear on that one. All right. Um, okay, we'll read these. So many emails. Um, <clears throat> Martha writes, she says... Uh, I think the voice, not the, remember the voice? We talked about the voice yesterday. Um, the voice is that brand new translation put out be, by emergent leaders. And what's funny is, is that um, I've actually spent more time on this. I said I would spend some time writing about it. In fact, I did. If you go to extremetheology.com, I have the first of several articles that I'm going to write that take a more in-depth look at what's going on in uh, the, the, the voice, the translation itself. And um, the first article that's up there at extremetheology.com has to do with the passage from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And I pick it apart using uh, the English as well as the Greek text. And um, the, I'll tell you, that, folks, the more I delve into this, this voice Bible, um, the more uh, disconcerted and alarmed I'm becoming. Because at this point, my conclusion about this thing is, is that if the emergent church has made their own 
Bible, and this is really what they're going to use as their Bible, then they've crossed the line from being an, a church movement to actually being a cult. Because from what I can see after really digging into this thing, um, this it's scholastically dishonest, number one. It definitely has a, 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 a theological agenda that it's trying to smuggle into the scriptures that's not there. And so they're changing the scriptures to make it conform to their theological agenda. And uh, that's what we call a no-no, you know. Um, twisting God's word so that it fits your theology, boy, that's the kind of stuff that lands people in hell. You know, not not cool. Anyway, Martha writes, she says, I think the voices, uh, the voice poets exchange the precision and concrete expression of the Greek for the ambiguity of the abstract. Good point. She says, my litmus test for bad literature is the use of the noun reality to describe anything instead of the thing itself. It's obvious liberal social gospel propaganda, especially the undefinable buzzwords of liberals such as just uh, liberals, uh, which is justice. God help us. Are you sure we aren't in the great apostasy already? (laughs) Uh, Martha? No, actually, I'm not sure that we're not in the great apostasy already. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I I I don't did I tell this story I was at uh I, I was at a networking event for the White Horse Inn guys the uh and it was a, it was a nice dinner they you know had hors d'oeuvres and and nice wines and it was a wonderful beautiful house in in uh, Newport uh coast area and um uh, Kim Riddlebarger was there and that was the first time I you know I'd really seen him since college I don't think he remembered me as a college kid cuz I you know I, I showed up to a couple of the uh uh, the cure events, you know, back when th- those guys were really just getting started. And, um, and so, you know, I introduced myself and, you know, as you know, I'm the guy who does a little love and he's, Oh man, this is great stuff. And so I was talking to him about his books, uh, on all millennialism and the, and the, uh, the man of sin, you know, you know, so he's, he's written on eschatology from a Calvinistic all millennial point of view. And, and I said, man, I said, the way things are going, I said, I said it, you know, it, it's crazy. It's like we're all. It's like we're in the. It's like we're in the great apostasy. And I just kind of threw that out there, just to you know, to tweak him a little bit because I expecting a good amillennialist to say, ah, oh, no, 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 it's not that bad. He looks at me and says, well, you never know. It might actually be. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, <laughs> great. So it, we might be. Who knows? So. <sighs> Yeah, she says, I, I'm glad that I can't imagine how much worse it might get. You know, Martha, um, being a good dumpster diver for Jesus, which is probably one of my greatest spiritual gifts, dumpster diving for Jesus. You know, if, if you really want to know just how gifted I am at that, go to the Museum of Idolatry at a little11.com. You know, nobody is a spirit, better spiritual dumpster diver than myself. Um, I feel like I've had like a front row seat for this creeping fog that's come into the American church. And um, I can actually imagine it's not hard to actually plot the trajectory of the way things are going. And uh, it's literally just a matter of time (laughs) before uh, there's just outright persecution in the church of people who call themselves Christians who are getting rid of the people who are Christians because they believe the Bible and are intolerant. In fact, we're going to talk we're going to do a little bit more Oprah today. Because uh, that that kind of talks hits on that. So, um, by the way, what's funny is my original post over at a little eleven, I referred to the uh, the the this new emergent tra- uh, translation as the Net Bible. Well, people email me say you can't call it the Net Bible. The Net Bible is a real Bible. It's like, oh man, 
<laughs> so we, uh, I, I put the call out. It's like, okay, does anyone have any ideas of what we can call this thing? That you know, if we can't, I'm, I'm not going to call it the Net Bible. We'll call it something else. And so I've actually got several different uh, recommendations for what we can call this emergent translation, rather than the Voice, which, uh, which is just a really alarming, unfortunate name because. That you find out as you're reading this thing, the voice is uh, is sorry about that is the name that they give is the way they translate the word logos in the Greek. It's not the word; it's the voice, and it's an inside voice, a voice that talks to you inside. But uh, several people had some good ideas. They should, so someone said call it the ESP, the Emerging Slippery Paraphrase. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. And then somebody says, how about the heretics fallacy monger translation? <laughs> or, or, or this is the, this isn't even short. This, this, this is the title somebody came up with the Bible. It's just the text we Christians use, but whatever you find useful is cool to us too. <laughs> Ray from LA put, you know, that one. So I, I like the ESP, the emerging slippery paraphrases. The emer- that's a pretty good one. Anyway, um, here another email on the voice greetings, uh, Big Brother Dog Chris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, uh, the, "At least he didn't call me Flower Burger." You know, so the the voice isn't the first Bible attempting to be hip, cool, and relevant. Have you heard of the Street Bible? No, actually, I haven't. He says it's worth checking out if you want to burst a blood vessel. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> I'll have to look it up. I'll have to go dumpster diving and find this Street Bible. Uh, you know, he, he says it's probably highly heretical, and, and I'm not sure because I can't understand a word of it. Well, that sounds useful. You know, I found a Bible that people are selling that is literally the entire Bible laser inscribed on something that you can only read on a microfilm, but it's it's on a Christian pendant, so you can actually wear the entire Bible around your neck. And I'm thinking, how ridiculously lame and useless is that? You know, it does it ward off vampires? Maybe Patricia King can use it against the werewolves. You know, It'd be too small for flavor flavor. Yeah. So anyway, he says. Interesting. Uh, interestingly, I used to use the not infallible version, <laughs> otherwise known as the NIV uh, paraphrase Bible. But when I discovered the New King James version, which I understood to be more literal, it helped me understand Scripture a great deal more, since patterns of language became clear. Something which can be entirely lost in paraphrased versions. A good modern version of Strong's Exhaustive Concordance helps too. Absolutely. You know, and. When we come back from the break, ridiculous news story, but this is the opposite of it, is, folks, read your Bible. You know, read your Bibles. And, then, and then I, what do I mean by that? Actually open up the book and read them. You know, if, if you're the type of person that works off of a well-organized plan, there are plans online that you can download and that will help you walk through the Bible in a year. Um, I, I cannot recommend these things enough. If you want to be protected from... The heresies, the weird ideas, the strange things that keep coming down the pike, all these bizarre spiritual things, that, concepts that are sending people to hell. Read your Bible. That's the, that is your greatest protection. You become more grounded and familiar with and conversant in God's word. That's going to, that's, kid you not, that's going to be the, the thing that protects you and saves your family too. You know, if you, especially if you're teaching them. So uh, and then get some tools along with Strong's exhaustive concordance. There are some good tools out there for lay people. And um, in fact, I'm trying to get a hold of Logos. 
but I, this is going to sound like heresy. Accordance has been the Bible uh, software that I've been using for a long time. And I use uh, Logos on – I run Windows on my Mac, you know, because so I can run some things from Logos. Well, Logos is coming out with a Mac version. I called them up and said, oh, hey, I'm a radio guy. I'm a really influential radio guy. And they kind of, huh, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, really, really? I, you know, I have at least four people who listen. And and so we're trying to figure out if I can get a copy of uh, the the new Logos software for the Macintosh, and uh, and maybe even promote it and plug it here on Fighting for the Faith. You're Chris Rosenberger. R- yeah, Chris Flowerenberger. Yeah. Okay. So, but anyways, Richard continues is that I'm not holy or pious enough to solely use the ESV, which he calls the Evangelical Standard Version. You know, I understand that. You know, you have to grow in your sanctification before you can get to the ESV, and you know, few people attain that. But I have. (laughs) That's totally a joke. He says, alas, but it's useful to check the not cool juvenile version, otherwise known as the uh, New King James. Uh, I guess. Yes, it is. And he says, and he said, alas, that means he's English. So uh, lots of Brits writing in. Very, we we got, it's the British invasion here on Fighting for the Faith. All right, when we get back from our first break, we got a news story that we're going to do. We're going to talk about this new uh, compassion a charter for compassion that's out there that's uh, being compassionate by waging war against fundamentalism. And we'll talk about what that means. We'll do some more Oprah. So um, anyway, stay tuned. we got lots going on here. So if uh, you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard today, you can. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, we'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwon 
We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the First Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. Yeah, all right. You have the Zippo, right? All right. We're back. Just want to remind you all, folks, that uh, Pirate Christian Radio is the station where that that airs fighting for the faith. In fact, if you're listening live right now, you're listening on Pirate Christian Radio. And... Uh, to support the ministry of Fighting for the Faith, uh, you support the ministry of Pirate Christian Radio. That's the way you do it. And uh, we would really love you to, for you to consider partnering with us and helping to help off at, offset our expenses. You know, we've we've got salaries, we've got we've got broadcasting fees, we've got computer fees, we got all kinds of things that you know it all it all adds up. And so, what we'd like you to do is to consider partnering with us by sending in your gift to Pirate Christian Radio. That's PO Box seven nine one SJC California nine two. Six nine three. That's Pirate Christian Radio, P.O. Box seven nine one, SJC California nine two six nine three. So, and anybody who sends in a gift of over one hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> I'm kidding. They get a free yeah, I get a free prayer hanky that I've sneezed in. <laughs> yeah, for a free love. Oh man, I can't believe those guys. Yeah, in fact, I, folks, I promise you that if you send in this money, chances are. It won't bless you a bit. <laughs> uh, no, th- I'm serious. I can't promise that you'll be wealthier. I can't promise that your teeth will be shinier. I can't, you know, you, you won't be healed of cancer. You know, No, you'll just be partnering with us to help continue to get uh, these uh, Christ-centered and gospel-focused um, resources out for people to hear. So would appreciate that. Okay, moving along here. I got to go backwards here because um, we've got we got to do our vintage uh, news. Here's some really... Dumb news, you know. 
uh, here's the headline from the Christian Newswire. Christian ministry says, don't read the Bible this Christmas. <sighs> no, that's not satire. Here we go. <clears throat> Christian ministry trail. <clears throat> Let's try this again. Take two. Okay. Ministry challenges Christians to worship this Christmas the way their brothers and sisters overseas do, without a Bible. <sighs> Fowler, Michigan, November 18th, Christian Newswire, Christian Resources International, a ministry that sends Bibles and Christian books to needy Christians overseas, is calling on American Christians to spend this Christmas without the Bible. CRI Executive Director Fred Palmerton suggests that Christians in the United States should try and conduct one worship service this Christmas the way our brothers and sisters in the third world regularly have to worship, and that's without any Bibles. Ah, <sighs> man. This, is, this falls under the category of the cure is worse than the disease. I mean, you know, it's just not fair that there's all these Christians around the world that don't have Bibles, and all you Americans have Bibles and are sitting collecting dust on your shelves. Why don't you worship like them for a change? I have, a, I have an idea. Why don't we send our extra Bibles to our, these new Christians in these other countries so we can all worship this Christmas while reading our Bibles? Good night! It's, it's the... It, I'm serious. Has the Christian church taken a bunch of stupid pills? This is ridiculous. I mean, uh, I know men have Dame Bramage. I, I, I'm a man. I got it. But this is this kind of falls beyond the pale here. I mean, seriously. I mean, we're supposed to somehow feel guilty. There are people who are less fortunate than we, living in third world nations, who've just become Christians, and they don't even have a Bible. Well, why don't we send them a Bible instead? You know, instead of us not, the last thing Americans need to be told to do is to not read their Bibles, as if, as if they're reading it anyway. You know, I was reading this article and sitting and going, well, how many people in these mega churches, these seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven type churches, are actually bringing their Bibles to church anymore anyway? You know, they have an outline. They, oh, that's right, they have a sermon outline, and the sermon outline, you know, they 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 go ahead and make sure to to quote and. Uh, or put them up on the big screen, all of the proof-texted, out-of-context Bible verses from for, different translations. From different translations. They've, well, that's kind of being generous. Do you call the message a translation? <sighs> you know, the really, really, really um, um, sarcastic side of me, he, that, that side comes out all the time anyway. Might as well just... How about... Just me. That's not even the side of me. Just me. I just, I'm wondering how long it's going to take for Rick Warren to quote the voice. He quotes the message extensively. Not long. Yeah, uh, we should have like a pool going. Yeah, uh, serious. We, you know, we, we, you know, what do you think? The, we can go down to Vegas and and have uh, one of those book people, those bookies, you know, put Vegas odds like you know by what sermon. You know, in the next year, will will Rick Warren actually quote from The Voice? (laughs) Will it take him, you know, will it be next week's Sunday sermon? Will it be a month from now? And so we can can all put wagers on it. Somebody will make a lot of money that way. (sighs) So anyway, here's the quote from Fred Palmerton. 
Every day, more than 122,000 people become Christians, and most of these people are in Africa, Asia, and South America, reports Palmerton. They're attending churches where even the pastors have no Bibles. In our church, the church isn't growing so much, but the pile of Bibles in every Christian's bookshelf sure is. In fact, of course, we've got the Mossy Oak Bible, we've got the Prosperity Gospel, we've got the T.D. Jakes, you know, be a, you know the, the Joel Osteen White Teeth Bible, you know, the, the self-esteem Bible with the mirror in the front cover. You know, and Zondervan Publishers indicates that the average American Christian owns nine Bibles and is actively in the market for more. This is pathetic. Yeah, you know, Whitehorse Inn, there's a video up uh, up at whitehorseinn.org, and uh, a guy who works at a Christian university said 20 years ago they, they, they would give a remedial test to all of the incoming freshmen at this Christian university to figure out where they were in their biblical knowledge. So it's a, it a Bible knowledge remedial test, and he said 20 years ago, one-third of the people taking the test would flunk it you know, outright, and they were com- deemed completely biblically illiterate. Guess what it is today? Two thirds. <laughs> two two thirds of those Christians entering Christian university don't know hokum about the Bible. Uh, but, but apparently, according to Zondervan, uh, each the average American owns nine of them. They own nine Bibles, and uh, they're all collecting dust, doing nothing, because biblical liter- literacy in America couldn't be at a higher low. That's oxymoronic, isn't it? At a higher low, at a lower high. Never mind. <sighs> so, apparently, the way we're going to become aware of this particular problem is for us to not have our Bibles during Christmas. Uh, it's just... Yeah, that's really going to help. All right, moving along. There's a brand new website that just came up called the Charter for Compassion. Charterforcompassion.com and uh, this is a fairly well-funded re- website. There's some pretty big Hollywood mogul-type people that are backing this website. And two of the people who are on the Council of Sages for the uh, for the Charter for Compassion sh- happened to share the dais with uh, Rob Bell at the Seeds of Compassion event back in April. And that would be, those, those would be Sister Joan... Uh, Chittister, uh, Joan Chittister is the one of the uh, church's key visionary voices and leaders, and she's a Benedictine sister of Erie, Pennsylvania, and the uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Both of them are supposed to be representing Christianity, and they're on the Council of Sages for the Charter for Compassion. Well, you want to know what the Charter for Compassion is trying to get rid of? Well, let's listen to their video. Here we go. A militant kind of aggressive religiosity, sometimes called fundamentalism, has grown up in every single one of the major world traditions as a rebellion against this imbalanced world, a rebellion against humiliation, powerlessness. Religion has focused more and more on a narrow understanding of religious dogma. And there's a... Oh, we got to get rid of religious dogma. You know... You... Are you a fundamentalist? Do you actually believe the Bible? Do you, do you? Oh, you you believe the Bible, and you believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, and that 
you know, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except for through me and that exclusive claim and that dogma and that narrow path. If you actually believe that, then um, apparently uh, they're waging war against you. But they're not going to use that term. They're <clears throat> Anyway. Why? Because they're compassionate. Sense of rage expressed in religious terms. Every religion, as I understand them, has a history of intolerance and every religion has principles for overcoming intolerance. I want people to hear the compassionate voice of religion. I want to change the conversation. How is she equating the compassionate voice of religion? What is the compassionate voice? If, well, by the way, they're using these terms. The compassion voice is the one that isn't exclusive, that isn't dogmatic, the one that doesn't say to somebody else in another religion, you know, I hate to say this, but um, you're actually worshiping an idol and uh, continue to do so and not repent and trust in Christ, and um, you might be liable to judgment. I mean, you wouldn't want to say that. So um, let's continue. Things will get really emotional here in a second in the video and bring compassion to the forefront of people's attention. Compassion is at the heart of my religion. And religion, when it's done in a healthy way, should enhance that. It's, it's recognizing each other's humanity. It's realizing that it doesn't matter if they're Jewish or Christian or Buddhist or Hindu or Islamic, is that they're a fellow human being, that they're suffering, and that that's avoidable. As a Muslim, okay, uh, you have to oh, submit oh, oh. to the will of... Hold on, hold on. So apparently if I believe in the exclusive claims of Christianity, then I can't, then I don't look at other human beings with compassion. I, so, so, okay. Okay. So me being a very narrow minded, dogmatic, uh, exclusive Christian that I am. So I'm driving down the freeway, right? And I see an accident occur because I'm so dogmatic and ugly and inside. There's no way on earth that I would possibly think of stopping and helping that person, right? No, no, I couldn't do that. No, no, I wouldn't want to. You know, I couldn't help that, but not unless I were able to determine ahead of time whether or not they were part of my tribe, right? You know, I, I I'd like to help you, sir. I see that you're bleeding to death, and. I'm sorry that you're in so much pain. I could really, I, I probably would be able to open the door and help get you out and into safety. But let me first ask you: um, Are you a Christian? And what kind of Christian are you? Oh, you're a liberal. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I gotta go. Bye. I don't think so. It doesn't work that way, does it? This is, this is insulting in the highest degree, and demeaning. Okay. Here we go. God and submitting to the will of God means that you have to be compassionate and kind to your fellow human beings. That which is hateful to you, don't do to your fellow. Love thy neighbor as thyself. I am thy God. Don't do to others what you wouldn't like them to do to you. The golden rule is a golden rule in so many different world religions. And we need to somehow find a way to implement the golden rule globally so that we treat other nations other peoples, whoever they may be, as we would wish to be treated ourselves. We need a charter for our own souls, for our own sake, but also for the sake of the world. The sake. A charter for our own souls. We need a charter for our own souls. Is this like the Magna Carta? We're, we're going we're gonna to write a Magna Carta and hand it to God. 
It's a new charter for our own souls. Love and compassion. We don't like this exclusive talk, this dogma, this narrow-minded thing. Yeah. ...of our perilously divided world, which is, uh, in one sense, drawn together more closely than ever before. The world will be invited to make their own contributions, make their own comments, tell their own stories about compassion or the lack of it. The bus was rounding a hairpin corner and was suddenly sheared in half by a logging truck. I had broken my back, my pelvis, all my ribs. I had collapsed lungs and major internal injuries. At that point, a young man, not a doctor, not even a nurse, came and sewed up my arm with a needle and thread. And he saw the need, and this young man saved my life. And that man took off his leather jacket, took off his sweater, and then took his shoes off in the middle of the street, removed his socks, and gave them to the naked man. And both of them began to cry because it was such a moving experience that this little black lady uh, grew these tomatoes and gave them to someone she didn't know purely out of a sense of love. I remember now, you see, we couldn't, you couldn't do any of these things if you actually believe that Jesus is the exclusive way of salvation. It's impossible. Just absolutely, you know, see, we got to get rid of you and your religious dogma because you've got to give your tomatoes away, and you can't give your tomatoes away to somebody you don't know unless you get rid of this idea that Jesus is the only way. (laughs) It's, I want to cry. She sat with me while I cried, feeling this just unconditional compassion. It felt like I was drinking fresh water. And that social worker fought for me to be able to stay in school. And from there, my life evolved of course you know that social worker didn't believe that jesus is the only way couldn't have otherwise she wouldn't have helped you the task of our generation whether we are religious people or secular people is to build a global community where people what where does it say we have to build a global community John, you got to look these things up for me, man. You, you need to put a – I'm going to put a laptop in front of you. I want you to Google, you know, build global community and find out where that is in the Bible. Hey. Of all persuasions can live together in peace and harmony. And peace and harmony is defined as no fundamentalism and no narrow dogma. <sighs> Charter for Compassion. This was brought to you by Compassion Against Everybody Except for Those Who Believe in Exclusive Religious Claims. Uh, I was on Rob Bell's website today talking about seeds of compassion and compassion. Um, On his website, marshill.org, um, there's like worship plus something, you know, the, up, up in one of the buttons up there and you can download PDFs that explain to you the Lectio Divina and the prayer examen. This is contemplative mysticism, folks, right fresh off of Rob Bell's website. Let me read this to you. Lectio Divina, this is from Rob Bell's website on the Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition. Monks. Um, why would I want to practice something that monks practiced? Monks basically believe they were saving themselves by their good works by locking themselves up in monasteries. 
right? And flogging themselves. You know, um, Rob Bell, uh, got a question for you. You know, um, those monks, they did some pretty bizarre things, you know, and, you know, including, you know, sleeping on hay, uh, having scratchy sheets, making themselves uncomfortable, uh, punishing their bodies. Um, why did you pick the Lectio Divina instead of all that other stuff too? I mean, just, just a question. All right, the Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition. In Lectio Divina, we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Uh, folks, just a simple question. Um, can you tell me where in the Bible God promises that we can experience him this way? What does that word mean? And you know what's really funny is is that these are the exact same terms that Ed Bacon was using in his interview with Oprah, right? The experience of God. Uh, from Rob Bell's website, we continue on the Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or as a group. You can do group Divina, I guess. Doing Divina Loca. Anyway, um, practicing Div- Lectio Divina individually. <clears throat> Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for God and experience his presence. Again, this is from Rob Bell's website. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. Because remember what that what Ed Bacon said? What, God's voice is the still small voice. Okay, God's word doesn't speak to you. You're going to experience God. From, you know, so we're going to use the Bible to experience God. Okay, so prepare yourself to hear from God. If you find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, get the comfy chair. Uh, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. You know, okay, which which posture, folks, I'd like to know, which posture helps you experience God's presence better? I mean, standing on your head. You know, I think I would experience God a lot better if I was wearing some gravity boots and I was upside down. Can you prove me wrong? I mean, God seems like a kind of down-to-earth guy. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Reading slash listening. When you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of scripture that you have selected. Remember, you can do this randomly. You know, the, uh, you know, just stick your finger anywhere in the Bible thing. The problem is, is most people always favor the verses that are on the right side of the Bible. If you're going to do this right, you got to, you got to get, mix it up so you get some left side passages too. Okay. <laughs> got to practical Lectio Divina here. I, I'm glad I'm here to help you. Okay, so all right, so <clears throat> when your heart is pre- <laughs> when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of the scripture that you have selected. Don't move quickly through any sentence or phrase as you read. Pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. So apparently, whichever passage you select and by whatever method you select it, read it slowly and then wait for a word or a phrase to catch your attention. 
card? Yeah, pick a card, any card. <laughs> yeah. It's the two clubs, right? Okay. All right, meditation. Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word or phrase or idea? What are you reminded of in your life? What does it make or make you hope for? Meditation is no easy task. As you try to concentrate, don't be disappointed if random thoughts enter your head. As they do, offer them to God. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, we're almost done with this. <clears throat> And how do you do that? I, I, I not. If I were to offer them to God, do I need to stick them in a bowl first? You know, God hears a thought, and then there it's in the bowl. Now you you get it, or maybe you you vis, you envision it. You know, as as you write the thought on a piece of paper in your mind, and then burn it, and it'll go to God. I, I don't know. Okay, prayer. Now begin to speak to God. Tell God what word or phrase or idea captured your attention. And what came to mind as you meditated upon it? How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. Tell God how you hope this word or phrase or idea will change your heart to be more like His. Contemplation. Finish by focusing your attention on the fact that God's presence is with you. If you try to focus on God's presence, you sense a need to read the text again or continue meditating or to simply continue talking with God. Allow yourself to do so. As you do, know that you are in the presence of God. Bible reading is out. <laughs> Who needs to read the Bible anymore? What we need to do is, hey, you know, just you know, pull up to the roulette wheel and, you know, and Vanna, I'll take a vowel for, you know, I'd like to buy a vowel. And whatever it lands on, look for a phrase or a word that jumps out at you and then say it over and 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 over again, meditating on it. Folks, um... Can you give me, John, I know that you're a biblical scholar. Can you think of anywhere in the Bible where Jesus did this? No, I can't. No. What's wrong with you? I mean, it's got to be in there. This, Rob Bell published this. Come on. He would never publish something that Jesus didn't do. Would he? <laughs> Whew. That's, uh, folks, that's, uh, if that's what your Bible time is reduced to, by the end of it, there will be nothing left. There will be nothing in your head. Nothing. Okay, you turn a Bible word into a mantra and meditate on it? I'm sorry, but last time I checked, Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't, I don't see any... Did Jesus say, go and just randomly pick a Bible verse and whatever word stacks out, meditate on it. I don't think so. You don't think so. You know, you just might not be enlightened enough, John. I, I, I'm, you, I'm worried about your salvation here. I just don't know if you're really saved. I mean, seriously. Oh yeah. That's just toxic poison, man. Good night. 
All right, we're going to take our second break. When we come back, we'll do a little Oprah. <laughs> we've got to do some Oprah. Because it's, funny enough, it kind of fits with all the stuff that we've been talking about, that com, you know, com, Committee for Compassion, this Lectio Divina, and, and then Oprah. Wait till you hear this. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. Stay tuned. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. Available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. Divina, huh? Folks, that was, uh, I didn't make that up. That came directly from Rob Bell's website, marshill.org. If you teach, if you click or hover your cursor over the teaching plus worship uh, button at the top of their webpage, there's a section that says spiritual practices. You've got the daily office, the Lectio Divina, and the prayer examen. A prayer examen. Yeah, that was a practice put together by the counter-reformation guy, Ignatius Loyola. 
this is what's being passed off as Christianity. And apparently this is supposed to be a spiritual practice that you can practice. And you're supposed to grow closer to God by just randomly picking a passage of scripture and then whatever pops out at you. <sighs> yeah, yeah, this is just, you know, maybe I should try this. You know, what do you think? I, all right, here we go. Um, all right, put my finger down. And, um, okay, here I, I'm in Ezekiel chapter 4. And you shall eat it as a... I gotta read it slow. Like it says, I have to read this slow. Let me read it slow. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Okay, the words human dung stand out to me, so I'm going to meditate on that. Hang on. Um, Okay, meditating on human dung. Human dung. Human dung. Human dung. Human dung. Human dung. You've got to say it over and over again. This is what the Lectio tells you to do. Human dung. Human dung. Try it. Okay, I'm having other thoughts that are coming to mind. I've got to offer to them, God. God, I offer you that other thought. Human dung. Human dung. Um, What are you trying to tell me, God, through this, this phrase, human dung? This doesn't work for me. <laughs> I'm not getting anything from this. Oh, man. You know, if you were a practitioner of the Lectio Divina, could you please give me some biblical passages that actually um, support this spiritual practice? Something that actually says in the scriptures that if you do this, you will experience God's presence. Because um, otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, this is just something somebody made up in a monastery. A little too much time on their hands. Some pietistic good intentions, but um, the, the, who cares? It's not in the Bible. and how, uh, I'm not going to be sanctified one whit by this. Neither are you. What's that story that it's in the Aesop's fable? Maybe it's not Aesop's fable. But the, the, the emperor who has no clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's not Aesop's fable. I I forget what it is. You know, some kid has the you know the the gumption to sit there and go, "Hey, the king's naked." You know, and everyone's sitting there oohing and on because he he paid all this money to have this incredible kingly robe made out of this incredibly fine fabric that, that was so fine that it's practically invisible. I mean, it is invisible, and everyone was sitting there going, "Oh, it's the most amazing thing ever!" And some little kid goes, "Hey, the king's naked." Uh, folks, this Lectio Divina, the king's naked. There ain't nothing there. You're being sold a bill of goods. Nothing Christian about it. Good night. <sighs> All right. Moving along, we're going to continue where we left off with Oprah. So this is Oprah Part 2 from her Soul series. And she's talking with the pastor, Reverend uh, Father Ed Bacon. And... Um, yeah, talking about not casting your pearl before swine. Boy, this guy's really off base. But we left off at the 1515 mark uh, when we were last listening to Oprah. And we need to continue hearing this stuff because this is the, this is exactly the same kind of spirituality you're hearing here on Oprah. Same kind of spirituality I hear coming from folks like Rob Bell and the Emergent Church and their brand new uh, translation, <clears throat> if you can call it that, um, The Voice. 
So we continue with um, Oprah's Soul Series, uh, and uh, we go from here. Here we go. As you well know. No, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exactly. That's and it. the kingdom of God is within you. Yes. And your faith has made you well. Mm-hmm. And the first chapter of the Gospel of John says mm-hmm. the light that was in every human being is now coming to the world. Mm-hmm. The Bible itself talks about the divinity within each one of us. Right. No, no, it doesn't. It's one thing to say it; it's another thing to prove it. My kids have this game that they played. You know, this when they were actually this is just a couple of years ago. If you would actually make some kind of a factual truth claim, my kids the first thing that would come out of their mouths are the words "prove it." Okay, you know, if I said, you know, Josh, your breath smells bad, Christina would immediately chime in and go, "Prove it, prove it." I'm thinking, what is this weird game? I'm glad they taught me how to play this game because they're this guy saying that the Bible is chock full of times where God tells, talks about the divinity within us. Uh, Ed Bacon, prove it. It does not. Right. If the you Bible choose itself. to look to see that. Yeah, yeah if you choose right. to look to see that. But if you don't examine Scripture for yourself right, and read it meditatively. And- oh, I, we can find out all about the divinity within us if we just read the Bible meditatively. Do a little Lectio Divina and uh, focus in on uh, divine concepts. And spiritually, and just take what the preacher's saying and don't have your own thought processes going. Oh, don't take what your preacher says. See, this is, I swear, this whole thing is is a study on getting you to not trust the authority of God's word, of the, of your pastor. Uh, unbuckling you from those two things so that they, they like, well, that's what happens with wolves, isn't it? Once they separate their prey from the pack, they kill it. Yeah, I've seen this before on uh, on uh, Mutual of Omaha's uh, Wild Kingdom, you know? Yeah, you, 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 that, remember that old guy, was it Marlon Perkins? Marlon Perkins. Marlon Perkins, he'd get up in that helicopter and they would, they would have aerial shots of, you know, of a, of a, of a pride of lion, lions hunting, you know, caribou or something. I don't know. Well, maybe not caribou. But you know, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're hunting some big game. And what would happen is, is that, you know, they would, they would chase down, they would chase these herds. And then as soon as one of the pack or the herd split off from the herd, oh man, those lions would pounce on that sucker. And it was dead, gone. I mean, it, I was, the, the, I remember as a child watching this in just complete horror going, oh my goodness, they're going to, yeah, they eat other animals. That's disgusting. You know, it, folks, this is exactly what's happening here. We're watching wolves, and basically what they're trying to convince you to do is stop listening to the Bible and stop listening to your pastor, and what they're what they're trying to get you to do is separate from the herd, and as soon as you do, you are dead. Oi. On, then you are going to miss an awful lot of sacred scripture. Yes, and I think that a lot of people who have uh, <clears throat> criticized uh, A New Earth and Eckhart Tolle's writings certainly haven't even read any no, of it. No. Uh, I have. <laughs> oh, it's bad. If they'd read any of it, you'd come to a better understanding or maybe be open to a better understanding. Yeah, listen to this. She's, she's defending Eckhart Tolle and his New Age beliefs. Watch what Ed Bacon says about Eckhart Tolle. It's it's uh, wow. Standing. Eckhart quotes Jesus more than anybody else. So why is oh Eckhart quotes Jesus more than anyone else? He quotes him out of context. 
is there this fear, you know, what I understand the essence of a new earth to, to be saying, among other things, is to bring a greater sense of consciousness, a higher level of consciousness, and to let go of your ego, take yourself out of your, you know, thinking, thinking head all the time. Take yourself out of your thinking, thinking head all the time? is thinking somehow now a, is something that's not it's it gets in the way of spirituality just don't don't think well the lectio divina doesn't have you thinking at all it doesn't actually want you to read the passage just find something that sticks out and then meditate on it and allow the higher self the greater self the, the soul of you the, uh, the higher self the soul of me Huh? Well, folk, where's my higher self? I'd like to meet him. Because I'm telling you, every time I go into myself, man, all I see is dark, dank places and spider webs. It's it's pretty pretty rotten and stinky. <sighs> That's the fun part about being a sinner. So I haven't found this higher self yet. You know, what's funny, though, is, is that you got Christian emergent guys talk using this kind of language. Uh, the higher consciousness of yourself to be present at all times. That's the essence to me of what he is saying. Why would that cause people to be fearful? Because it's not true. It, it, you can't find a passage of scripture to back any of it up, Oprah. Maybe it's because it comes from Hinduism and that's not Christianity. If these people have developed a theology that makes them dependent on a doctrine or a dogma. Mm -hmm. uh, like the, uh, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins. His resurrection from the dead. I'm being, I'm oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm being exclusive again. Sorry, John, I, thanks for pointing that out. We continue. They are not interested in being liberated to trust their inner voices. So what? Liberated to trust your inner voices. Oh, my goodness. Feel the force flowing within you, Luke. Trust it, Luke. Let go, Luke. Uh, this ain't Christianity, folks. What's the difference between doctrine, dogma, and true religion? Being a religious person my faith, my spirituality is what I live for. It's actually what I would die for. My doctrine and my dogma is what I would kill for. Oh, man. So apparently his spirituality is what he would live for, but doctrine and dogma is what I would kill for. So folks, if you actually believe in any doctrine or dogma, you probably need to go right now to your local police station and go ahead and turn yourself in and and if they say why are you turning yourself in well because i hold to doctrine and dogma and i you know because of this that means i'm going to murder somebody D do it now it, you'll feel better later you know i know the court system won't know what to do with you just tell them listen you know book me for murder i haven't murdered anyone yet but i believe in doctrine and dogma and i would kill for it yeah, 5150. Those numbers sound vaguely familiar. Anyway, we continue. 
I see. It, I see. it gives me that kind of intellectual certainty uh-huh. that actually becomes my God substitute. Oh, intellectual certainty is my God substitute. You know, I've actually heard emergent guys, postmodern guys using this exact same argument. That if I have certainty, that my certainty is now my God substitute. And here's this guy talking with Oprah using the exact same language. Wow. Don't want any certainty either. And, well, actually, the Bible does provide us with certainty. Ah, boy. Um, Let's continue. Uh So I'm no longer connecting with God's voice inside me. Because if you actually... I'm if I have certainty, I'm no longer connecting with God's voice inside me. Where have I heard this before? You know, folks, that whole God's voice inside me bit is actually in the uh, new emergent translation, otherwise known as the ESP version, the uh, emergent slippery paraphrase. Let me go back. Man, this is it, this is freaking me out how much how much these people have in common. Um from the emergent slippery paraphrase, otherwise known as the voice. Um uh, listen to this. Um t- talking about Jesus, the vo- they refer to him as the voice. Uh, quote, he does not call out from a distant place, but he draws near. He enters our world, a world he made and speaks clearly. Yet his creation did not recognize him. Though the voice utters only truth, his own people who have heard the voice before rebuff this inner calling and refuse to listen. Inner calling? That's from the uh, the ESP's uh, version of First John, I mean, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 11. The inner calling. Of the voice, is this is that any different than what we're hearing this guy say? Man, oh man, I'm having a hard time. I'm having to hit the stop button like every every ten seconds. This is just chock full of heresy. It's it's like remember the they would have a commercial was it Snickers bar? You couldn't cut a Snickers bar without hitting a peanut or something like that, or was it a chocolate chip for the Chips Ahoy? Yeah, oh man, I'm getting old. I'm not remembering all of this stuff. But you, 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 anywhere you slice this little thing, we're getting all kinds of heresy going on here. This and this guy is wearing a Christian cleric's collar. Wow. Let me back that up because you got to hear that again without me interrupting. Intellectual certainty uh-huh. that actually becomes my God substitute. Uh-huh. So I'm no longer connecting with God's voice inside me. Because if you actually really felt. That which you speak of God, if you actually really felt that, you would only be able to come from a place of love. Precisely. 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 And that is what spirituality is. Precisely. Yeah. Is being able to, it's the feeling part of the dogma. That's correct. Yeah. It is loving God with all your being. Yeah. Ed, I'd really like to see you try that. (laughs) I bet you really don't. With all your being. Heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor as yourself. It all goes together. But it's that love experience that's much... The love experience. Love experience. The love experience. Lectio Divina um, is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition 
Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or as a group. The goal is to listen for God and experience his presence. You know, if we were playing that game from Sesame Street, remember one of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. In this particular case, um, it would we'd have to say, well, there's nothing that's different. They're all the same. You see what's going on here? This mystical spirituality is invading the Christian church through Oprah and being practiced through contemplative mysticism. It's the same concepts. Deeper than the intellect. Okay, so how is it that we've gone so, of course, is it because... Hold on a second, he said deeper than the intellect. I want to back it up so we can hear him in context again. Here With we go. all your being. Heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor is yourself. It all goes together. But it's that love experience that's much deeper than the intellect. Okay, so... Oh, much deeper than the intellect. Maybe that's why in Lectio Divina, it's not important what you read. It's just the words that pop out at you. How is it that we've gone so, of course, is it because there have been so many charlatans, both in the so-called New Age movement and in, you know, traditional religion? Is it because, I don't know, why is it so misunderstood and well, attacked? the tradition of false prophets yes, of, is, of false an, prophets. Is, a, is an old one. You know, it will goes, be with us always. It will be with us always. Yes. And these folks are doing it for their own self-gratification. Mm-hmm. And they're not interested in empowering everyone. Mm -hmm. They're interested in filling the pews instead of filling the hearts. Mm -hmm. And so the great thing about an independent, popular expression of the truth, mm -hmm. as in Tola's work, as in your work. Uh, just having a hard time having every anything that Oprah is saying religiously being told to me it being the truth. Or Eckhart Tolle, the New Age guru, having being told that that's the truth. It's not the truth. It's a lie. God's word is the truth. But, you know, stop using the intellect. you got to get into your higher self. Turn that brain off and stop being so certain. Because that's your God substitute. Oh, boy. Is that it encourages and empowers people to think for themselves to feel for themselves, and to have a connection. That's what's really underneath that notion of the priesthood of all believers, so that mm -hmm. you don't have to have a priest mm -hmm. to tell you everything that's true. Unfortunately, sometimes when we get into an anti-Catholic or anti-priestly position, we still fill that with a charlatan, with a false prophet, with mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. kind of external authority figure. And what Jesus is saying to people when he says the kingdom of God is within you and your faith has made you well, is that you have this divinity inside you. There it is. You. It's there. You have the divinity inside you. It sounds like Shirley MacLaine. Remember back when she did her little thing? I'm God. <laughs> no, you're not. You're a human. You will face judgment. Where is the clear teaching in Scripture about the divinity with inside of you? Read the book cover to cover. Folks, facts, um, tell you what. Show me in Scripture where you, it talks about the divinity with inside of you. Please email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. If you stumble across it, please, I'd like to know chapter and verse. 
The only way to the Father is through me? The only way to, yeah, well. And you, and you, and uh, you. I, you know, you're, stop being, you're thinking again. You need to get into your higher self, John. You're so not spiritual. You are your own priest, which leads you to God. It doesn't separate you from God, but it does separate you from having to have an external authority. Like the Bible. That's what people fear. That is so scary to so many people who live in the house of fear. Uh, If you believe in the Bible and have certainty regarding particular dogmas, specific ones that kind of exclude other things, and you're using your mind to get to that point, you are in the house of fear. Let go, Luke. Come to the house of love. I first learned uh, about Reverend Bacon when uh, I saw Guy Ritchie. Everybody knows Guy Ritchie who also happens to be married to Madonna's, his, he, he did a documentary called The Ego Has Landed. And in it, you talked about God um, sending Jesus to the wilderness for 40 days to grapple with Satan. We all know that story, those of us who are Christian. are. Do you believe Satan and the ego are, are one and the same? I do. And it, it, I know I heard that on there, and I thought, well, well, that is a new way of thinking about it. Save us. Save me. Please save the human race from people who think that the devil is purely external. For us to talk about evildoers as though evil exists outside of us instead of the fact that we have to struggle ourselves with evil within us, that leads us to kill. That leads us to be violent. That leads us to abuse other people because we can't see that we have evil within us. And And so then the evil within us, individuals, becomes a collective evil when all of us, you know, agree to do or not do a certain thing, to treat people well or not, to allow human rights or not to allow human rights, to cause wars or not cause wars, and how we treat people in the process. Indeed. Yes. That is the manifested evil inside of us coming into the collective to become one that you could call the devil. Correct. Okay. And Satan, or mm-hmm. Satan, which means the deceiver, yes. uses fear as primary instrument. But hasn't the Christian church, though, for years taught us? I mean, I grew up believing that the devil was something outside of myself. But, Unfortunately, you know. it has. Mm-hmm. And... Like all religious experiences, there are competing voices and competing forces in every religious experience. The Christian church has also called us to confession and has also, in the central prayer that we all are taught to pray, talks about save us from the time of trial. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those Mm -hmm. who sin against Mm -hmm. us. Now, this sounds Christian-like, right? This little bit, you're sitting there going, mm, okay, this is different, you know. And so it, after everything they've said, you're sitting there going, okay, where's the, you know, you want to push on this and go, is this real? <laughs> you know, false dichotomy set up, though. Uh, Christianity is always taught that Satan is actually a real thing, a real person, um, the deceiver, truly. And, and, and that humans are by nature sinful, sinners. Yeah. <laughs> Is the voice in my office? <laughs> go, go see if it's a, it's on there. Yeah, 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 I'm stuck on this voice thing right now. But um, the uh, the oh man, 
you want let's take a look at how scripture describes us um ephesians chapter 2 whoops i hit the wrong thing ephesians chapter 2 listen to this he says uh, paul writing about us as for you, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and once you, the, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath and like, like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. Nature. Pretty, pretty clear we got a problem there. The Bible teaches that there is... That, Humans are, to use a Calvinistic phrase, totally depraved, okay? And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, listen to this. It says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. You know what the voice does with this one? We, we read this yesterday. It's ridiculous. The voice, <clears throat> as for you, don't you remember how you used to just exist? <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, like, let's read that again. Uh, and you were the, from a good translation. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, from the voice. And for you, don't you remember how you used to just exist? Woo! Anyway, let's go back with Oprah here. <clears throat> Forgive us our trespasses. We are trespassers against ourselves and other people, and so there is this competition within Christianity, that dogmatic, conservative, rigid, literalistic Christianity oftentimes doesn't pay attention Okay, so tell me this. Oh, yeah, we rigid, dogmatic, conservative, literalist Christians. No, we don't believe that there's any sin in us whatsoever. What are you talking about, Ed? Ridiculous. What do you say for all the people who've, you know, been raised like I was, raised in the church, went to church Wednesday night, prayer service Friday night, Sunday night, Baptist training union, the whole thing? Yeah. Your question is, what do we say to all of these people about yes. how to reconcile? Yeah. Is you follow grace. You follow grace. It's a- what? The, 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 these, these two exclu- competing truths cannot be reconciled. Either one is true, the other is false. Or the other is false and the other is true, or they're both false. Those are your logical conclusions. They can't both be true because these are exclusive claims. It's important to understand what grace feels like. There's an affect. What does grace feel like? Hey, John, what, is, what does grace feel like to you? Oh, man. <sighs> you know what I mean when you say... I've just been to church. I've just had church. You can have, or I just had a glory attack. I mean, you can have glory attack in the cab, right? Yeah. It's where you feel a glory attack. Is that where glory sneaks up on you and mugs you? What's a glory attack? I'm hearing words and I just don't know what they mean. A glory. I've never had a glory attack. John, have you ever had a glory attack? Oh, yeah. All of a sudden overwhelmed by God's goodness. Yes. And you didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. God just gave it to you because God loves you. Mm-hmm. That's grace. Uh, where's the cross? Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ, oh, Christ alone. Yeah, see, apparently you can have a glory attack um, and just experience God's love out of the blue like a lightning bolt hitting you. 
You just have to be the right taxi cab at the right time. And Christ has really nothing to do with it, and him crucified has nothing to do with it. It just happens because God generically loves you. No repentance of sins, none of that stuff even comes into play. To the degree that we follow grace, instead of trying to get out ahead of it and explain everything, grace will lead us to the reconciliation point that you're talking about, reconciling our minds and our hearts, our souls and our intellects, our doctrine and our spirituality. The reconciliation point is there if we will follow grace. Um, reconciliation point. Um, anyone know which verse that's in? Re- reckon, I reckon that there's no such thing as a reconciliation point. We continue. How is it? How do we follow it? By what we feel? By what we feel. By what we feel. Grace oh. Has- it's I, feelings. Yeah. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Sorry. Is anyone, uh, anyone's ears bleeding now? So how do we follow it? We feel it. We feel it. It's an affect to it. Okay. And it's, well. What does that mean specifically when you say follow it? It means if I'm conflicted between what I've been told and raised. Oprah, you're trying, you get you got to get out of your lower self here and just turn off your brain and get into your higher self. Stop trying to think here, Oprah. Come on. <laughs> here you are trying to figure out, you know, just let go and let God. <sighs> to believe doctrine, dogma. But this idea of feeling something deeper. I'm going to talk talk Bible to you here. Talk Bible to me. Jesus said. Please, I'd love to hear this. You can judge a tree by the fruit that it bears. Yes. And what did he mean? Paul, St. Paul, says in Galatians, there are two kinds of fruit. The fruit of the spirit Mm -hmm. and the fruit of the devil. And the fruit of the Spirit, peace, joy, love, All right. generosity, self-control, magnanimity. Yeah. Are you feeling those things? Are you feeling those things? Are you feeling those things? Okay, Paul also said in the book of Galatians, if anyone comes to you preaching another gospel, let him be eternally condemned. And in case you missed it, he repeats himself and says, as I said before, let me say it again. If anyone comes to you preaching another gospel, let him be eternally condemned. So apparently somehow this dogma, gospel, important of these you know, things, it's not just some generic love, joy, peace, patience. I feel this because... I'm in, I'm one with the universe, and I'm in having harmony, be divine, talking to the divine within me, because I'm in my higher self. No, that's a different gospel. So you can fool yourself with the, these feelings of peace, but that's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit unless it's centered on Christ and Him crucified for your sins. The true gospel, by the way. The, and the great thing about Tola's point, which is that we are more than... Yeah, he's quoting Eckhart Tolle. Christian pastor quoting Eckhart Tolle. My question is, why hasn't the Episcopal Church brought this guy up on heresy charges? I mean, he should be defrocked. He shouldn't be allowed to teach... Any, he shouldn't even be allowed to teach two-year-old Sunday school. 
Okay, this guy's dangerous. In our thoughts. Yes. There is a being behind or beneath our thoughts. And if we can just stop and say, suffering is in me or sadness is in me, Mm -hmm. not I am sad. That was a great distinction he made in the New Earth, you remember. And you say, I'm feeling contentious, disparaging, condemning, and judgmental. That's not of the Spirit. That's That's not not grace. Yes, yes, yes. Really, I'm feeling contentious. <clears throat> rebuke. I'm looking up a word in the Bible, by the way, because it's an important word. The word is rebuke. Okay. Okay. Hmm. All right. Here we go. Let's see. He must follow. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction, sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Talking about an overseer. First, uh, Second Timothy chapter 4. Um, let me read it in full context here. I read it before. Just kind of important. Second Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit what their own passions want to hear, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So they want the fruit of the Spirit completely separated from, lopped off from, disconnected from Christ and Him crucified for our sins. And now if you're feeling contentious and questioning it, that's not from the Spirit, see? What they're trying to do is take the victim and make the victim very comfortable before they kill him. You know, this this is uh, spiritual happy gas that they're passing here. makes you comfortable before Satan comes in and kills you. Yeah. Where can I, in my experience right now, Mm -hmm. turn to joy, forgiveness, peace, love? That'd be the spirit. That's how you follow grace. Simply stop. Say, I am an observer of myself. Yeah, totally would say, take a breath. Take a breath. Yeah, take absolutely. Breath. Take a breath. Bring yourself back to Very this good. moment. Yes. You have a moment for stillness. Mm-hmm. Say, life's too short. Mm-hmm. I want joy. I want peace. I want love. I want forgiveness. And how is this, every one of those phrases, I want, I want, I want, I want. I thought this guy was saying that the ego is evil, right? And all I'm hearing is me, 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 I, 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 I want. Man, whenever my kids are saying, I want that, yeah, I want you, yeah, I want you. Christ's promise is where? I, well, he hasn't, you know. Oh, okay. You're just being, t- John, get into your higher self. Turn off that brain of yours. Stop with this dogma crap. Sheesh. I want to be magnanimous toward this person who is abusing me, mm-hmm. who is saying vile things to me. Well, you know, I would honestly say uh, Eckhart and I discussed this uh, when we were, I think, in probably the fifth chapter or fifth episode of doing the webcast. He was saying, you know, don't allow yourself to take it in. So I really will have to say that I understand that all around me there are a lot of people who have been upset by it. I have not allowed myself to Good for you. To, to go there and take it in because it would literally make me sick. Absolutely. 
would make me. Yeah, it's toxic. It would be very toxic to do it. And also because I'm not. Yeah, folks, don't accept the criticism. If, if, if you're preaching false doctrine, don't listen to anybody who would tell you what the Bible actually says. You don't need that. That's toxic. You need peace. Just accept the peace. Make yourself comfortable, comfortable, peaceful before Satan kills you. Here uh, on this broadcast or any other. Or in life. Or in life to try to convince anybody of anything. No. Of anything. No. And, and I know that when. She's not trying to convince anybody of anything. Did I hear that right? She's not trying to convince anybody of anything. She was saying, you know, don't allow yourself to take it in. So I really will have to say that I understand that all around me there are a lot of people who have been upset by it. I have not allowed myself to good for you to, to go there and take it in because it would literally make me sick. Absolutely, it would make me. Yeah, it's toxic. It would be very toxic to do it, and also because I'm not here uh, on this broadcast or any other, or in life, or in life <laughs> to try to convince anybody of anything. No. Then why are you doing this <laughs> soul series webcast as if it's the truth, and talking about how important it is and what a difference it's made in your life? Is that not a form of trying to convince somebody of something? I mean, here they are talking shop on, on spiritual ideas as if they're, what they're saying is true. But, oh, we're not here to convince anybody. No, 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 no. Then why are you doing this? That's completely disingenuous. That's ridiculous. You know, folks, I, I'll be honest with you. There's a reason why I do this program, and that's because I want you to know the truth that you are a sinner saved by grace, that Christ has died for all of your sins, and that in the gospel he is offering you literally a full and complete pardon for all of your sins, the things you've done, the things you've left undone. You cannot earn this salvation. It's being offered to you completely free by Jesus Christ. I want people to be convinced. Well, I want people to be converted through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel that they would know that Christ died for them and that Christ would become everything. So I'm, I'm definitely doing this because I'm trying to convince somebody, right? But no, 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 they're not trying to convince nobody, no how, because they're above all that. They're, they turn the mind off and get into the higher self. Of anything, yeah. and... And I know that when you are able to get out of your mind and let go of your ego thoughts and be still with yourself, that something really powerful can happen for Be still. Man, again, this sounds a lot like that Lectio Divina. Get into a silent place and be still. Turn off your mind. For you. And that's really all I, I wanted was for people to try to experience that. Do you think intuition? Is oh, she just wanted us to experience it. To so not convince us because that involves the mind. Just to experience it. Just want you to experience it. Is the voice of grace? Intuition I, plays a very important role. Uh, you know, I speak a intuition, lot. Intuition, instinct, listen, that thing that you feel inside. It's. I had a conversation with my son two nights ago. Mm -hmm. He's looking for what he's going to do in life right now. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the role advisors play. Mm -hmm. And I said, said, son, take in all that advice 
But you have to be the president of your cabinet. Use all those voices as advisors or your cabinet. But you're the president. And the way you have to obey is to obey this voice inside. And people who don't practice... Now there's that voice inside again thing. You know, the, by the way, I wonder what the biblical chapter and verses on this advice that he's giving. I'm just not seeing it. You know, maybe I just need to turn my mind off and shut my Bible and, you know. What does your inside voice say? Run. <laughs> Flee. <sighs> Mine's in space. Yeah, listening yeah. to that voice. That's a voice that has to be exercised just like you have to go to the gym. That's right. You have to exercise that puppy every day. That's right. And people who don't listen to that voice, a lot of people don't even know they have the voice. That's, and they've been told. The voice. They don't even know they have the voice. See, that's the name of the emergent Bible, the voice. I think these two are hooked together somehow, man. I'm serious. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a connection between what the spirituality they're promoting and the stuff that the, new, the, the emergent guys are promoting. There, there's definitely some common ground here that's freaking me out. Old, that's right. That other by people's external voices. authority. Yes, yes. That they're their voice. I am your voice. I shuddered once at a dinner party. This was early in my ministry, sitting next to a member of a parish where I'd now become rector. And she said, I expect you to tell me everything to think. <gasps> wow. No, no, not that. Don't think. I said, you're going to be very disappointed in me. <laughs> My job is to do the opposite. Someone said to you, I want you to tell me everything to think? Yeah. Oh, wow. I want you to tell me everything that's right and wrong. Open the Bible and preach it. Pastor, I expect you to teach me everything that's right and wrong. Good. Let me read to you what God's Word says. Instead, what is he doing? He's pointing you inward to some inner voice. And the experience of grace and the feelings. This, mm, whoa, here. I said, I'm so sorry. I mean, I felt so sad. Can't do it. No, 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 shouldn't do it. And shouldn't do it. And won't do it. Save me from folks who try to me. do that for me. That's right. Please. Well, you know, a half hour is gone. What? And can you believe that? No. Yeah, yeah I can't. So yeah. I know. Join us again it, next Yeah, we had to. We had to. Cut it into two pieces. Yeah, Oprah, I can believe I was a half hour. Believe me, it felt like a lot longer. Okay, we're at the end of our program today. That's our daily dose of biblical discernment. Today was a little bit more of a lesson on, you know, what not to do than what to do. If you would like to email me, you can. Uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Now, tomorrow is going to be an interesting day. I'm probably going to be uh, putting up a uh, Sunday school lesson or a best of show. I haven't decided yet. It just depends on time. So uh, we'll definitely have something there for you. But uh, until next time, God bless. 